If you're playing any game that involves a ball, whether it's baseball, volleyball, soccer, tennis, uh, football, what's important? Isn't it keeping your eye on the ball? If you're doing some household work, you're pounding nails, or you're screwing screws, what's important? Keep your eye on the nail, right? Keep your eye on the screw. If you're driving down the freeway in your automobile or your truck and you're going 70 miles an hour, of course, we don't go over 70 miles an hour on the freeway in Minnesota, what's important? It's to keep your eye on the road, isn't it? And not be, or dabbling in other things. You need to keep focused. As God speaks to us this morning, as we consider our gospel reading that Pastor Sharp just read, God, God really brings home to us how important it is that we keep our eyes on Jesus. And so the take-home today is keep your eyes on Jesus. He, he won't let you down. Now, as we see Jesus in this account, he's keeping his eyes focused on his Heavenly Father, isn't he? He's finished feeding the 5,000. He's sending them back home, the 5,000 men plus women and children. And he's put his disciples in the boat, and he's told them to go back across to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. You know, remember, it's about maybe seven miles across, and, uh, and it's, it's early in the evening, and so Jesus is by himself, and so we're told that he goes off to pray. Praise to his Heavenly Father. Isn't that amazing? God the Son is talking to his Father in prayer. How often do you pray? Are you one of those people who, as you go about your life, your daily life, basically are, are going through an ongoing conversation with the Lord? Maybe, Lord, uh, do you see this? Or, uh, Lord, please bless this, and so on. And, and your day is just kind of a, a continual dialogue with the Lord where certainly you're thinking of what he says to you in his word, but at the same time you're, you're talking back to him in prayer. And if that's, that's the case, that's great. Maybe you're a person, on the other hand, who has certain set prayer times, maybe like Prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, and maybe you get up in the morning and you, you have a prayer time, and you pray before you eat and after you eat, and before you go to bed you may have a ritual where you pray, and maybe at various times during the day you also pray, and if that's the case, that's great. But sometimes I've asked people, do you pray often? And I hear the, uh, well, uh, 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 no, I don't pray as often as I ought to. And when you think of that in view of the words of the Lord through his apostles or through Jesus himself, Paul saying, for example, pray without ceasing. Or, or think of uh, the psalmist in Psalm 50, where it, he quotes the Lord, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Or think of the words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. When we pray to God for godly things, God hears and God answers. When we pray to God for help, God helps. 
When we pray and we confess our sins to God, God forgives. God is faithful. Think, think of the words of Jesus when he says, you know, ask it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And you see, as we lay our cares on the Lord and give him the things that we can't do anything about and ask him to bless the things that we can, as Paul says, we experience his peace, which is so valuable, so precious. And so we see Jesus as just a wonderful, wonderful example for us here as, as he is praying to his heavenly Father and probably for quite some time. Because if he starts in the evening, we hear that it is much later, it is actually the next morning when he goes walking to his disciples. Now you see what's happened in the meantime is they've gone out in the boat, but they've encountered a storm and they're going into a headwind, and the headwind is so strong that after they got about maybe three or four miles across the Sea of Galilee, remember it's about seven or eight miles across, they just can't get any further. It doesn't matter how hard they try. You've got, you've got fishermen in that boat, and they know sails, and they know oars, and they know how to navigate, but they just can't make any headway. Does that ever happen to you in life where it seems that try as hard as you do and can, you can't make any headway? You know, it could be a health thing where uh, you have this chronic thing and it's just really slowing you down and it's causing you a lot of pain and it's interrupting your life. And, and you do this and you do that and you go here and you see this person, this doctor, this specialist, you take this medication, you go through this therapy and it seems like things just don't get better. Or, or it could be that you're, you're dealing with a relationship in your family or a circle of friends, or maybe it's a, uh, a more intimate thing, and it just seems like uh, try as hard as you may when it comes to being at peace with this person or these people, it just isn't happening. Or there, there are those times where we have the, uh, the, the financial things that happen in our life where we we don't expect them to come and it's not just one thing it's another and it's another and it's another and it seems that no matter how hard we try and how much we skimp and how much we stretch we're not making any headway and that's the way the disciples felt and here they were they were caught out in the sea of galilee if they went out there in the evening we're told that it was during the fourth watch of the night which is between 3 uh, a.m and 6 a.m Jesus went out walking to them. Now, you've got to keep in mind, he's not on a, a, a windsurfing board. He's not on a jet ski. He doesn't have water skis on. There's no ice out there like we do in Minnesota when we walk on lakes and rivers and creeks. He's just out walking on the water because he's God and he can do that. He can defy the laws of nature. But in the minds of the disciples, no one can walk on water. This must be a ghost. And we're told that they were terrified. They were terrified. Does the thought of Jesus ever terrify you? Does the thought that the Son of God, who knows all things and can be everywhere, knows your every thought, everything you say, everything you do, you can't hide from him, you can't hide anything from him, you can't hide 
those sneaky sins that you can hide from other people? Does that ever terrify you? Or does it terrify you to think that, that someday you're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus who knows all? Either at death or on the last day. Do you ever find that frightening? You know, I do. My sinful nature uh, is scared when I think of those things. The disciples were afraid. But as Jesus comes, he tells them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Don't be afraid. You know, in our lives, we don't want to unnecessarily put ourselves in harm's way and into dangerous situations. But when we find ourselves in those situations, remember those words of the Lord. Take courage. Don't be afraid. When you find yourself in difficult situations where it seems like you're not making any headway, any progress in dealing with these situations, remember Jesus speaking to his disciples. Remember those words, take courage, don't be afraid. Now, let me ask you this. Of those 12 apostles who were in that boat, who would be the most likely to just blurt out something, or impetuously do something. Which one? It's, it's going to be Peter, isn't it? Right? And uh, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me, let me walk to you. Let me come to you. And Jesus says, come. Now, that, that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it, on the part of Peter? Would you say that? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have had the guts to say that. Let, let me walk to you because I would be afraid. But Peter, Peter has confidence at that point in the Lord Jesus that the Lord can let him walk. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. And everything is good until all of a sudden he loses his focus. He redirects his eyes, the eyes of his face and the eyes of his soul from Jesus to the wind and the waves and he becomes afraid and he begins to doubt and he begins to sink into the Sea of Galilee. Do you ever find that happening to you when it comes to the Sea of Life? That sometimes things happen in your life and you find yourself sinking and sinking and sinking? <coughs> you know, it happens when we become too busy to keep the eyes of our soul focused on Jesus. We're busy with work, we're busy with school, we're busy with our social life, we're busy with our hobbies. We're busy, 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 and we're too busy to take time for God's word in our lives. And as a result of our losing focus on Jesus, keeping the eyes of our soul on Jesus, we find that, uh, that our faith begins to, to shrink. The peace that we enjoy through faith in Jesus begins to diminish. Our ability to cope begins to dwindle. We find that, that um, our moral boundaries and guidelines begin to blur. Uh, we find that, that anxiety begins to raise, peace begins to fall. And we find ourselves sinking into the sea of life, into doubt, and into all kinds of trouble. Peter did. That is until he refocused and he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. 
even though Peter didn't deserve it. You heard those words that Jesus said to Peter when he scolds him. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But in spite of the fact that, that Peter was sinning and doubting and, and not focusing on the Lord, Jesus reaches out and he saves Peter. And that's because Jesus is the Lord of love. He is the Lord of mercy. He is the Lord of compassion. He is the Lord of forgiveness. He is the Lord of unfailing love. Think of the words of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah when he says, Though the mountains depart and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love will never depart, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And so even though Peter didn't deserve it, Jesus reaches out and saves him. And even though we don't deserve it, as we cross the sea of life, and at times we find ourselves losing focus, losing sight of Jesus, Jesus still saves us. Think of how he has saved us ultimately. We didn't deserve to have the Son of God come to earth, and yet he did that. We didn't deserve to have the Son of God in human nature take our place under the law, and yet he did that perfectly obeying that law, never doubting his heavenly Father, always perfectly praying to his Father. You know, when we see Jesus praying that night, it's not just an example for us, but he is actually fulfilling those commands of God that we pray, and he's doing it to perfection for us. And even though he doesn't have any sin of his own, he owns ours. He makes it his own. And he goes to the cross of Calvary, and he suffers our punishment. He pays for our sins. He removes our condemnation. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you and me to God. And as a result of that, God forgives us. And there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you and I, through faith in Jesus, are in Christ Jesus. Whether we have a gorilla faith or whether we have a feather faith, we are in Christ and there is no condemnation. And if that's the case, that our Lord loves us that much and is with us to save us from eternal damnation and from the curse of our sin, he's with us to help us as we go through our lives. And as we encounter different, different situations and we deal with, with challenges that come our way. And Paul picked up on this reasoning and he said in Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32, If God is for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Just a couple days ago, my, my son Noah, he's 37 years old, he's a a major in the Air Force. He's a, he's a doctor, and he's also a, an ER doctor, a trauma doc for the special ops, you know, the Green Berets and the Delta Force and so on. And, and he said to me, he said, you know, for my wedding next week, I'd really like you to put in the service that part at the end of Romans 8. I said, you mean that love part, nothing can separate us from the love? He says, yeah, I like that part. But he says, I also like that part. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I said, that's really comforting. And he said, well, you know, I, I really found that that was comforting when I was in the Middle East uh, with the special forces and life was hard. And he said, I thought, well, if God is for me, who can be against me? And if God loved me enough to give his own son and Jesus loved me enough to give himself for me, 
He's going to take care of me and get me through this. And you see, the Holy Spirit kept the focus on Jesus, even though the seas were stormy and life was hard. And the Lord came through and got him and others through. And the Lord will do that for you too. The Lord will not let you down, so keep your focus on Jesus. Now, we're told that when Jesus gets in the boat, suddenly the, the storm stops, the winds die down. Now, if we're reading John's version of this in John chapter 6, John says immediately they were to the other side. It's almost like, boom, something miraculously happened there. Now, just imagine you're one of those disciples in the boat, and you've seen all this. All right, Jesus is walking on the water. Jesus enables Peter to walk on the water, and then he saves him once, you know, he falls in the water. Uh, Jesus gets in the boat, and suddenly the wind stops, and then you've got the thing of getting to the other side. What's your conclusion going to be about Jesus? Their conclusion was this. You are truly the Son of God. And they worshipped him. You and I also know that Jesus is the Son of God. We see his miracles. We hear his words, the words of life. He is that Son of God that we needed to be our Savior, who brings the value to who he was and what he did, and, and, and brings the holiness that we need in, in, in our place. In view of the love that he has shown us, in view of the, the, the fact that he has saved us, in view of the fact that he's with us each and every day, in view of the fact that he, he now sits at the right hand of the Father and rules over everything, and yet can be present in our life, providing and protecting for us, don't we too have reason to worship? Worship the Lord then as you live your lives every day. No matter what your, your station in life is, live it to the glory of God. Let the Lord's law be your guide in life, and let the Lord's love be your motive in life. Give, give time each and every day to the Word of God. Give time every day to, to prayer, to praying without ceasing, letting your life be an ongoing conversation with God. Let your life be a, a life of service to God and a life of worship of God, doing everything to God's glory, but also taking time on a regular basis to say thank you, Lord, for saving me, for delivering me, for removing my condemnation, for making it possible that on the last day I can stand before you and I don't have to be afraid because your holiness is mine and you've washed away all my sins. And I can trust those words again and again. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Keep your focus. Keep your focus on Jesus. He won't let you down. He'll get you from here to heaven and take care of you in between. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.